Hello friends, family, and everything in between. Thank you for checking out Friends Till the End, Part 11. Of course, this is your old pal Paul here to bring you another one of these episodes. And, uh, you know, things get a little bit random and a little mixed up here, but I try to have these out about once a month. So we're coming up on about one year of Who Will Survive. And we are now at the 11th episode of this. So I guess that works out to about one a month. But uh, we didn't start with this, so, you know, whatever. It's all fucked up. Anyhow, this time on the show, I have uh, kind of an old buddy here from podcasting. Goes by the name of Court Psyop. You may know him from his show Cinema Psyops, which is on the Legion Podcast Network, just like our show and several other fine shows. Uh, Court is one of the guys that really kind of gave me a lot of time when I was trying to get started, which has sort of been a theme with this show and a lot of the people who I've had on have been people that really were willing to to give me a lot of their time and just sort of talk to me and answer some of my stupid questions and, and things that should be obvious. And they really just made me feel like, you know, this is cool. If If I need something, there's people out there that are going to be able to at least offer me some suggestions and point me in certain directions and, and try to help me find my way through this thing because you know there is no manual for how to do podcasting or anything like that there's you know no one's written a fucking book on this yet or anything so it's it's all just everyone figuring out their own way to do it and we're all just making this shit up as we go some of us 
do it one way, some of us do it another way. And that was kind of a little bit of what we talked about was just some of the way that Court does his show is fairly unique to other people who I have also worked with or talked to on this show. He likes to kind of run things a little bit more old fashioned and, and has like a giant audio rack set up and uh, compressors and I don't know a bunch of stuff that he mentions in the show that I don't even know what the fuck that stuff means and I am the exact opposite where I just have my USB plug and play mic and my laptop and we fucking roll like this but you know whatever works for you to get your shit out is what you got to do you know so I think we have kind of a cool conversation about just the production of podcasting and some of the inside jokes from his show and some of the fun stuff that goes on over there. So it's kind of nice if you don't really know him or haven't heard of his show, you kind of get an idea of who he is from this. And I highly encourage you to check it out. A funny story that I don't think that I brought up on this is that Court was sort of my introduction into the Legion Podcast Network because... Um, one of my buddies, Dave Z from Exploding Heads, had come over and, and met me at my house. And so we live in the same city, generally same city area. And he was like, oh, I got a split because I got this guest spot on a podcast. And I, and I wasn't even doing podcasts at the time. Said, oh, cool. What's the show? And he said, oh, it's the show Cinema PsyOps. And I was like, oh, sweet. I'll, I'll have to check that out. And ever since then, I, I really dug the show. I, I loved it. I... Uh, I've been following it ever since, and it was cool to kind of become friends with Court, and this was a good opportunity to just get to know him a little better, and for uh, him to get to know me better, I suppose, as well. Uh, then the second half of the show, we talk about sort of uh, growth and maturity that we have gone through, which he was not necessarily aware of my connection to him through this uh, just some stuff that I had picked up from listening to his show and, and sometimes that he talks about himself and whatever. And I would hear him say things that were like, wow, that's really something that means a lot to me because I have gone through similar things in my life. And, you know, one of my big struggles is I, I um, you know, have a couple kids and I had kids when I was really young and I got married young and that all went terribly wrong and I'm still kind of paying the price for that whole situation. But that's a whole other story that I don't really want to talk about right now. And through all of that I really developed this this extreme lack of empathy for almost everything because everything had gone so poorly for me and and things had been turned on their head and turned upside down and my whole world basically got fucked up of what I thought it was going to be from that point on and it made me just sort of not care about anything and and growing up as a kid I was really a mischievous kid and got in a lot of trouble and I had struggled with kind of caring about stuff all through that period of my life as well. But, you know, I had some kids and started to feel like, oh, I'm a loving person. I can care for these children and be the family person. And that all got completely fucking shattered and pretty much ruined me for a while. And through the unintentional intervention of meeting someone, such as my my partner, Marissa, I have learned to develop empathy and, and compassion and, and care about not only people that I know, but also people that I don't know. And that's a weird place for me to be at. And, I, and I've heard Court talk about these kind of things where he grew up and he was this fucked up kid and he did shitty things and did you know mischievous stuff and he did bad stuff and he did criminal activity and he did stuff that hurt people's feelings. And I'm like, hey, I did all that same kind of stuff too, man. And then we grew up to 
be these fairly upstanding citizens that actually care about things and, and care about other people and try to put that under the universe of just a message of positivity and, and good vibes for people and show our support for various causes. You know, I know Court has also been a big proponent of a lot of the things that we have tried to push with Who Will Survive and with Friends Till the End of, um, you know, just being socially conscious of a lot of the issues and being aware of the, the sensitivity of today's culture and, and just showing our love for everybody, I guess, really. And so... I guess I've kind of rambled on about this a little bit too much, but please check out Court Show, Cinema PsyOps, on Legion Podcasts, on Solo Feed, Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, I don't know, whatever else, Google Podcasts, uh, the Legion Pod- Podcast website, every fucking place you can get podcasts. Uh, as far as for Who Will Survive, we are just getting going with our crazy October 31 reviews of of Halloween and so we recorded our first episode, which will be out the first week in October. And we have a few more episodes coming up. So, yeah, uh, it's going to be five episodes with six movie reviews, all kind of short 20-minute reviews where Marco and I just kind of talk about them a little bit. And those are going to be sort of stripped-back episodes, much simpler than our usual format. We're going to crank out all of those, and then we're going to have one bonus one as well to equal 31 movie reviews throughout the month of October. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. You don't mind the uh, rearranged format, a little bit different from the way we usually do things. And I think that is about it. So yeah, please keep up with us on all the usual places and please leave us a rating or a review or anything on iTunes. And if you do go on there and, and leave a review, then let me know that you did and I will return the favor in some way, whether it's leaving you a review or, or giving you a shout out or something. All right. Uh, thank you very much. If you do that, or if you already have done that, it's greatly appreciated. So, without further ado, I give to you Friends Till the End, Part 11, with Court Psyops.
times is to deny him the use of clowns in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Force him to not be able to hire his wife. Right. <laughs> to act in the film in any way, shape, or form. Yes. And and then give him someone who is like a hard-boiled Hollywood writer who's or or screenwriter. It doesn't have to be Hollywood. Like a guy who would who had been working for Roger Corman or something like that that just hashes out a script that has coffee stain rings all over it and chain sure, smokes yeah. cigarettes and is like not gonna curtail what the director wants right. <laughs> you know and then just like have somebody that will butt heads with him and challenge him and you know force him to think really hard about the story that he's trying to convey and may- maybe he could you know could come up with something that way but I think he- too many people buy into his stuff and his shtick and just because you love horror films doesn't mean that you should be directing horror film, you know? Right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it doesn't matter how much you love something. You don't necessarily... It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good at it to, to do no, it. No. Absolutely. <laughs> I love classical music. I don't... I shouldn't be a fucking conductor. <laughs> no, right. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I love that I definitely should not be doing or I'm not capable of taking to that next level so I 100% agree that it's not for everybody yeah I love art I love to draw and I love to paint I used to do that exclusively when I was a teenager that was the thing that I was obsessed with but right I had to learn really really quick that I'm not talented when it comes (laughs) to that like I can't I can't draw or paint in such a way that I could either make a living from Mm -hmm. it or that anyone else would want to see it no i i agree i i feel the same way i love artwork and i love i mean even film and stuff like i have no idea how any of that stuff works at all it's it's all like fucking magic to me like i look at a drawing and then go wait somebody made that with their hand and like art supplies no way that's that's fucking that's magic they just waved a wand over it and then the picture appeared oh my wife's like a camera with a pencil in her hand you you put a pencil in yeah. front of her and you give her a subject and she can draw it and it looks photorealistic she's amazing i mean that's she, awesome she does graphic design and photography and food styling mm-hmm. and all this other stuff as well um she just recently got done finishing a photo shoot or actually a video shoot she did food styling and a little bit of prop work and stuff for a video shoot for godfather's pizza oh cool <laughs> So, and I'm super jealous of that because she's going to be just like, she gets to do all this great creative stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm super supportive and I'm super proud of her. But at the same time, I'm really jealous where I'm like, man, I wish I could be doing stuff like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, yeah. I hear you. Uh, well, if everyone was able to do anything that they wanted to, then, you know, we would probably have anarchy, which <laughs> some might say you can't run ar- anarchy, but I've heard that you beg to differ and that you actually are capable of running anarchy. <laughs> oh, that is like the most fun inside joke ever. It's the quickest and easiest <laughs> way to piss off my co-host to say that I run anarchy. Um, sure, sure. Well, and, and you, you've had a couple of things like that, but that's kind of one of the more recent ones that's been ongoing. Yeah. And for some of the listeners to my show and also for your show, they probably will realize that the whole thing that the it's anarchy that I run is actually a lift from Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog because it's one of the lines okay. that he says in that. That's where that comes from. Um, okay. A lot of stuff that Matt and I do is we're kind of, I don't want to say we're regurgitating, but we're both serious pop culture junkies, you know? Okay. Uh, he gets obsessed with things in a different arena than what I do, but we have so many interests that overlap. And so him and I end up regurgitating things that we don't even know where it comes from. And then later yes, on, yeah. later on, people will be like, hey, is that from such and such? And we're both like, 
yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I, I did that joke for, I would say, a good solid month and a half. And then all of a sudden, when I said it, the way I said it was like in the song where he goes, and it's anarchy that I run. And I'm like, holy shit, I, I stole that from Dr. Horrible's sing-along block. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a, so the, that's an exclusive to your show that I'm comp like I'm comping to that that that's where I stole it from. Oh, nice! I like getting the exclusive scoop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so your show, uh, Cinema Psyops, you guys just recently crossed 200 episodes, right? Or no, you just crossed 150. Which, where it, I think the yeah right, the most episode, recent so. one is going to be 160 that gets released. Um, as of this recording, 159 is out. So 160 will probably be released about the time this gets released. And it was the four years anniversary? Four year anniversary? Uh, four years. We hit. I basically just start doing 52 weeks and then multiply it out, and that's how I figure out the years. And then I switch okay. up. I'll switch up a theme song. Um, I started doing that on the second year because I got tired of listening to the first theme song, which was just a song from the Dirt Bombs. It was called okay. "Can't Stop Thinking About It," and I just sure. I just cut up the song to get the parts of the lyrics that fit the theme of the show. Okay. And, and then the second year, I took uh, the music pieces right out of the Cramps song. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is it's uh, "Dames Booze Chains and Boots" is the name of the song. I couldn't think of the title off the top of my head. And I just okay. I took the music cues out of that before Lux starts singing and before they actually do any of the lyrics or the chorus, like the little like just little sections of music and just kind of piece that together. And then right. I started throwing quotes over top of that. <laughs> and then I think uh, year three, I did the same thing with uh, I took actually a drum loop that was from uh, one of the Ramones songs that was supposed to be on like a rock band or something like that, where it was like the. The, the bad drum machine version of it and then I, I messed with the speed on that and then that's when okay. I did the, the clapping and the kids chanting P-S-Y-O-P-S and everything mm-hmm. and the most recent year I actually did the music myself like all that underlying like under bed music I did everything but the drum loop I took right out of rock band or not rock okay. band but to garage band the other thing right. was rock band <laughs> yeah the video game thing right yeah yeah it's like it's a rock band one yeah. Uh, no, that's cool. So we had talked a little bit before, and I think you kind of brought up here uh, one of the ways that how do you keep something still fresh and interesting to try and put out once a week after doing it for four years? And, uh, you know, you you guys have kind of a, a I don't, I don't want to say basic in a, in a simplifying way, but like you, you have sort of a structure that you follow with your shows and the way that you review them that you've developed um have you sort of tinkered with that over time and and found different ways to just keep it fresh yeah when we first started it was just we did two movies every show um we went through the movie basically scene by scene almost frame by frame describing everything Uh, some of our earlier shows are super long just because we went through every single scene and talked about it broke it down ended up in doing side chat and everything um, yes, we just had one of those ourselves that was like way longer than I intended it to be where we broke down two movies like that. <laughs> yeah. And we ended up, it ended up being where I was taking out as much silence as possible and like really kind of learning how to edit 
Um, I had done some video editing and things like that before, but uh, to do it for the show, um, it was kind of, you know, you go in, you, you chop up things and you delete out these spaces. I ended up spending a lot of time doing that and trying to make the episode shorter and shorter because I felt bad because we were making like two and a half, three hour episodes of covering like two movies and nothing else. And then I was I was cutting out all of this stuff where we were joking around and all these side chats and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And then I ended up finding in Audacity the truncate silence, which changed my life. Yes. <laughs> yeah, luckily I found that early on. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I, I've been preaching. Saver. I've been preaching truncate silence to everybody. Like anytime yeah, anybody me asks me anything, I'm like, dude, look into truncate silence. Figure out how it works best for your recording setup and use it. Yes, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I I have been preaching that on this the show i feel like every episode i tell whoever's on like hey have you heard of this and they're like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think when you were getting ready to do your show i was like dude you gotta look into truncate silence it's like you're it'll be your best friend <laughs> I, I definitely heard you mentioning it either on your show or or in one of our conversations when i was asking for pointers when starting up so so for either way i got the information from you firsthand or secondhand so <laughs> yeah and it's a really neat feature where it just goes in and it looks for the levels of your audio that you set and anything below a certain level uh which right. would normally it, yeah. be, be silence it treats it as if it's silence and then you can choose how much you want to cut out and how much you want to leave in right. and if you do it right and you set it right it basically you sit there and wait depending upon how long your show is about i don't know six to ten minutes and it does about two and a half to three hours worth of removing the silences yourself manually for you yeah oh yeah it's a it's amazing yeah you got to be careful with that though because if you do <laughs> if you do set it too high then you start like that <laughs> yes yeah I, I had told somebody about that early on where one time i ran it through and I had the um, I had like the decibel level too high, so it was it was picking up when you know someone would just trail off at the end of a sentence. It would just chop that shit right out. So I'm like, oh, I got to make the uh, decibel level a little bit lower so that it doesn't pick up until it's actually silence. So and I kind of I use the audio equipment stuff that I set up. The reason that I did it the way that I did it is so that I have gates that shut whenever we aren't talking or whenever we drop below a certain level that okay that are it's like a physical electronic gate it's like old school okay. equipment that sure, yeah, yeah. it just shuts off when you get silent enough and stop talking and that mm -hmm. leaves the recording absolutely silent and that helps that actually helps it truncate that silence out a little bit better the sure. only the only downside that i've had so far with using the gating like that is for some of the music and our clips but sometimes I just replace that in editing, even though I play it live for everybody to hear. And mm -hmm. that seems to work out pretty well. Yeah. Now, uh, you had mentioned, you know, adding some of these things in where you play it back live through the show. And I think that's one thing that's that's different about the way that you do your show now is that you have kind of this, this more complicated setup where you have a, you know, I was on the show, obviously, so I know that... You know, everyone can hear the clips as they're being played, whereas, you know, I have a much more basic setup where if I want something, I just go and cut an open space and put, you know, just crowbar some fucking clip in there and pretend like we heard it or whatever. So, you <laughs> yeah. know, and that's that's like the old school way of, of doing it the way that you're doing it, where it's more like you had told me like live radio. So uh, what was the decision on trying to do it that way just because you felt like it, it fit your your needs or just something you fell in love with doing it that way i really enjoyed live 
talk radio in mm-hmm. my youth. I really liked, like, I, I was a big Howard Stern fanatic in the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. There were actually local radio host guys out in Pittsburgh, even when I was a kid, that moved to Omaha. Um, they're called Todd and Tyler. They broadcast all over the country now, too. But okay. they, they were on a local Pittsburgh radio station when I was a kid that was called DVE. And right. I remember hearing them there on that radio station. So when I moved out here in like around 2000 and I heard them out here, I'm like, holy shit, that's where those guys went. <laughs> nice, nice. But uh, I, I really, I, I've always kind of been obsessed with live radio um, yeah. and the idea of how that gets produced. Now, when I first started doing stuff with the show, I liked basically just knowing what I was going to have. And if I have to mm-hmm. go back in and fix something, great. But if not, if you play it all and you do it live and you have it there on the night, it, it gives you two things that are really kind of a good bonus. Um, for one, Matt, my co-host, is really bad at pretending like something happened when it didn't. So, sure. okay. so if I don't play the clip and I try to talk about something that happened in the clip, he just looks at me like, what? <laughs> you know, like he just, he needs to hear the actual clip or he needs to have something there for him to be able to react to it. And it helps mm-hmm. if, if especially when we're doing the actual movie coverage and I'm playing something out of the movie, if I'm going to play an, a, a clip that's, I don't know, three, four, even five minutes that I expect the audience to listen to, mm-hmm. if Matt and I can't sit there and listen to it without getting bored, then maybe it shouldn't be in the show. You know, sure. so it gives yeah, you, you it gives you an idea of what your final output is going to be if you're there listening to everything that you plan on putting in as well. And, right. and it also gives you like an opportunity to keep the conversation flowing because something that happens in the clip that maybe I don't pay attention to, maybe the guest or maybe Matt would bring up, hey, this person said this. Do you think it hap- happens to do with something else that happened in the movie or do you think that's foreshadowing? And it really kind of brings out the flow a little bit better because you know everything that you're going to have it's all right there yeah yeah well yeah you get uh, sort of that live reaction to the thing as as it's being said and you do a lot of using the clips put into the movie or from the movie put into the show which i have done some of that before but it's like it's it's so much more of a pain in the ass to like i know you have to go and pull those clips and then have them ready but it feels like such a a wonky process to like shoehorn them in somewhere later and you know like we've done the walkthrough episodes and then i mark out okay i want to put a clip at this point and put a clip at that point but i have to either acknowledge like hey guys i'm going to put a clip and then edit that and then edit the thing to put the clip in and like so lately i've been doing not a lot of clips and and our discussions have been more gearing uh, gearing towards open discussion and just the way that we feel about the movies and stuff as opposed to walking through them but that you know is is all just subjective as far as the review style that you feel like works for you well and i've definitely paired back i used to go super detailed on my notes and i would describe i would describe every single action as it was on screen Mm -hmm. and for some of the movies that we were covering at the time it worked that way but we've been getting into more like exploitation and like the rudy ray moore stuff specifically like if even Matt joked about it too, where it's like if we wrote down and <laughs> described every single time we saw a boom mic in one of those movies, we would have seventy-five pages of handwritten notes, like boom mic in yeah, this yeah. scene, boom mic in that scene, you know. And then it's like, oh, and then this action is happening. And well, yeah, and like like he said in Human Tornado, it, there's not a lot of 
of dialogue and stuff. It's more just action scenes. And so you go like, so then this guy gets punched by that guy. And then that guy gets kicked by that guy. And that like, you know, you just spend forever describing a fucking fight scene blow by blow if you want to. Yeah. And in our earlier days, that's, that is how we did it because my OCD kicked in hardcore when I was taking (laughs) notes and I would literally write down everything. Like we went into way too much detail for things like war of the robots and hands of steel in our earliest shows, you know? Okay. And you just kind of find the balance on what works and what doesn't. And there's sometimes where you'll skip over something and your co-host will be like, Hey, this happened in the film and you didn't even mention it. That usually, that's usually Matt doing the notes and then me saying, Hey man, you didn't even talk about this. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Most, most of the time I can't even keep him off the phone when he's in the studio. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, how do you, how do you go about picking movies for the show? Because I, I will say that a lot of stuff I have not actually seen that you guys cover. And so the, the, the way that you guys cover the movie, it makes it more enjoyable or, of a review where if I'm just listening to an open discussion of a movie that I've never seen, it's like I have no idea what the fuck they're talking about sometimes. So uh, how do you get into, I feel like you guys pick a lot of kind of more out there choices or not as much mainstream stuff. Um, and you definitely seem to have an affinity for like older movies 60s and 70s and stuff like that um is that you know you try and balance between stuff that you you love and and balance out time periods and um specific genres and stuff like that a lot of it has to do with whatever it was that i felt like watching around the time that we're getting ready to cover it sure Um, yeah when we first i mean the very first year of the show a lot of stuff was chosen based on these are films that are kind of touchstones for a snapshot of a time and a place and Mm -hmm. some of the movies that Matt and I were going to be talking about. And I really didn't want to do what like every other podcast does where like everybody talks about Friday the 13th. Everybody talks about the Halloween series. Everybody talks about Nightmare on Elm Street, particularly horror podcasts. Like everybody goes to reanimator and all of that stuff. And the funny thing about horror fans, and I'm saying this for myself specifically, it doesn't matter how many times I hear any podcast talk about Friday the 13th. If someone else is talking about Friday the 13th, I can listen to them talk about Friday the 13th. You know, mm-hmm. I've probably heard Dave Z cover Friday the 13th on like six different shows. And yeah, every, sure. every time like he talks about it, depending upon who he's talking with, he has like a different perspective or a different, uh, different way of looking at it or something that they'll talk about. And particularly whenever they did the stuff on banana laser, that was like some of the best stuff. So, sure. uh, but so my first year was really like trying to get Matt to do reviews. Like my whole plan was I was going to do all the engineering and Matt was going to do all the notes and Matt was going to do stuff. <laughs> and at first it was going to be, I'll do one movie, you do the other. But okay. he really, when he first started out, I mean like every movie that week was the worst piece of shit he had ever seen. He hated everything. He couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't vocalize anything about how he was feeling. He couldn't describe the things that he liked in the scenes. It was just, he just couldn't verbalize what it was that he was trying to say. I mean, sure. like the very first thing that we did, like Master of the Flying Guillotine, he was like, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. And I'm like, <laughs> but why? And what it boiled down to was he's a sports fanatic and he was pissed off that they never finished the tournament in the film. <laughs> and I'm like, then just, just say that. Don't say it's a worst piece of shit you've ever seen. But yeah, that was a piece of advice I got early on from somebody as well. was like, don't just say that you don't like something. Know why you do and don't like everything. Yeah. And he really grew as a uh, as a reviewer over time. And it took a little while. So, And I ended up doing all of the reviews at first. And 
a lot of the movies that we I chose at the beginning were like, okay, well, these are films that not everybody covers. And then also these are films that are not necessarily like my absolute favorites or that I love. And then as we started getting better at it in that first year, I started bringing in some of those movies, probably about the 16th episode or so. I can't remember the exact number of what it is, but we did a documentary on uh, the video nasties that were over in Britain. There was two of them. It was uh, mm -hmm. video nasties, definitive volume one and two. Um, the Both of those DVDs, we watched both the documentaries and we did this sort of just open discussion about what was happening in the documentary, what was taking place in that frame of mind. And it was, Right. It was it was essentially like a whole tribute to freedom of speech and the First Amendment and all of that stuff where we wanted to pack it with as much weird stuff or like Lenny Bruce routines that had gotten him in trouble, George Carlin routines that had gotten him in mm -hmm. trouble. I played some Gigi Allen songs, you know, and stuff okay, like that, yeah, yeah. where it's like, hey, this is offensive, but should it be banned? And that's really where the show took off, because then we started doing a series that was like the worst weekend of my life is how we phrased it. Um, when I was a kid, I would go to the video rental store and mm -hmm. like most places that you went to would have a selection that, you know, would be a bunch of different movies or like, you know, action films, comedy, and then they'd have a relatively small horror section. But where I grew up, these mom and pop shops that were like these small, you know, small mountain town, it was like this country market that has this like little alcove that they rent videos out of and they don't have the clout that a bigger video store would have so they're getting sided with like i don't know three on a meat hook or uh <laughs> texas mm -hmm. texas chainsaw massacre 2 uh the executioner 2 or no the exterminator 2 is the name of it or or just any of those kind of like you would see a sequel but you would never even see the original film like in these places that yes, kind yeah, of yeah. thing and so most of them had the same deal where it was like five movies, five days, five dollars. There was one by that I could walk to like within about, I don't know, like a 30 minute walk from my house as a kid. There was a market sure, like yeah. that. And I'd rent everything that they had in their horror section from A to Z. Okay. Then I would ride with my mom into work whenever she would go to work and I would hang around the town that she worked in as a kid during the day and go to this other video store, also five days, five dollars pick up five movies and then come home over the summer, watch all of them over a night, go back the next day, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I essentially started doing this thing. Cause again, I do, I'm not diagnosed, so I can't actually say, yes, I'm 100% OCD, but I definitely recognize those traits of the obsessive compulsive disorders. And right. I literally would just go to those video stores that I, I would start at one store ran out everything in their horror section from A to Z. If mm -hmm. something wasn't there, I'd go back the next week, see if it was, make sure I made a note of that one I didn't get to see and grab it, and nice. then move on to the next video store. And then I would just go progressively further and further out from my town. Um, okay. You know, and there's times where I had to beg my mom to drive me, drive me 15, 20 minutes to a video store to do this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my parents were actually pretty cool about that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you start renting movies from A to Z, eventually in the right video store that can't get, you know, like can't get the higher scale movies in, you get to certain sections and then the next thing you know, you're renting like, I think it was House on the Edge of the Park, Last House on the Left, um, Just Before Dawn. I'm not doing it in the alphabetical order. I'm just doing it as I can remember them. It was like mm -hmm. Just just Before Dawn, Maniac. Um, I can't remember all of the movies that was actually there and when I, when I did put this together, it was kind of like a sample of showing what it was like and what I could remember as closest to 
I could remember at the time when I really thought about it. <laughs> but like I rented those on like a Friday and sure. by like Saturday morning, I had no idea what I was in for. But like you watch Maniac, House on the Edge of the Park, Just Before Dawn, Last House on the Left, and you know, <laughs> uh, The Hills Have Eyes even, I think what might've been one of them too. But like you watch all of those like back to back within like 24 to 48 hours, it's gonna have right. an effect on you. And oh that, yeah, yeah. That's kind of where the show came from is Okay. Movie like that's the logo the logo of the show even says that physical wounds heal cinematic ones don't. Sure, right. <laughs> Cuz you you watch something at far too young of an age and that's one of the series that we did too, the bring your own cinematic trauma. It's mm-hmm. it's going to have effect on you. We all have that story of, hey, I saw Hellraiser when I was 6 or something right. along those yeah. lines, you know. Um uh, one of the one of the things for me was I snuck out of my bedroom as a kid when I was like maybe I wasn't even in kindergarten yet, so I would have had to have been like four, you know, maybe turning five. And my parents were watching The Exorcist, and I snuck out of the hallway, and they had like the the, the place that we lived at the time had the mirror on either side of the room to make it look like it was bigger, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah. And the TV was on one side of the room, so if I looked in the one mirror, I could actually see the TV from the other mirror, and it would be flipped in the reflection, and I could watch their TV of what they were watching sitting in the hallway. <laughs> And the t- awesome. it was just loud enough that if I sat just right in the hallway, I could hear it just fine and I could see it just fine. <laughs> and there's tons of movies that I should not have been watching that I did see like that. And The Exorcist was one of them. Gave me nightmares for months. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And, that's crazy. And I just started loving that feeling. So, And that's where the Bring Your Own Cinematic Trauma series came from. I wanted to hear other people's stories about that after, because we got a really good response from it. And sure, right. And that started running its course, and it got to the point where it felt like people just wanted to talk about a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, and then they're like, hey, can we do Nightmare on Elm Street 3? Because, you know, that was a real cinematic trauma for me, and I'm like, really? Or did you just want to talk about a Nightmare on Elm Street 3? Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, we'll still do it. It's fine. You haven't guessed it yet, so come on, you know? I think that was Mike Merriman who pulled that on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he had a he had a pretty good reason for it because it made him I guess that's the one that made him obsessed with Freddy. So okay. but then we would have legitimate stories of trauma that like people would watch. I think one of them was uh there's a podcaster named Shu uh who had a uh, a, a a podcast where she would read a book with somebody and then uh you know kind of go through the book and everything. I think it was called All Booked Up or something like that. Um didn't last for too many episodes, but what she did do of it was pretty interesting. But mm-hmm. Shu, when she did the uh, Arcujo episode, had a legit, I mean, legit serious story of trauma and was like really just kind of talking about things in her life that were not being dealt with at the time and wasn't really understanding what it was that she was seeing with like her grandma and her family. And it was tied to how much her grandma loved Stephen King books. And then also this specific movie of Cujo sure. left her terrified of dogs and things. Uh, and I remember like while we were recording with it, I'm like, are you sure you want to share all of this? You know? And one of the, she said, it's like, you wanted trauma. You asked for it. Here it is. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's really being able to share that much, I think really kind of helps the people that listen to the show. Too. Like they know that you're being genuine and you're being legit. Like these are real feelings. These movies made right, us feel. Right. And that kind of where the show is developed from there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, you, you kind of try to find these ways to attach, um, whether it's just something you see and you and you like, but you try and attach it to something or, or connect it with another movie or like that's a big thing for me is we try to put a couple movies into a show and then connect them together through some sort of 
thematic thing or whatever. So it becomes kind of this fun game of, of picking movies. And I, I like that you said it's a lot of it is dependent on what you feel like watching at that time of year, too. So because that's sort of the idea from our show is, you know, originally we were going to we would do this, this episode and this net and that, this, this many episodes. And then then it kind of becomes like, well, but I just saw this movie and I never saw it before. And it's kind of fucking sweet. So let's talk about that on the next episode. Oh, OK. Like, so the plans all start to go out, out the window as you feel like watching different things or you discover things. I think that's um, the, the nice flexibility about having your own show, too, is you could just do whatever you feel like. Well, and if you're the person that does all the production on your show, you also lose a lot of free time, which is yes, which is why the latest series that I've created for the show with the movie stack Jenga, mm-hmm. like anything that is under the title of movie stack Jenga is something that I bought during the course of the show, whether it was shortly after we started it three years ago, four years ago, right. or just recently within the last couple of months that's been mm-hmm. stacked up and I haven't had a chance yeah, to watch yeah. it because I'm too busy editing or working on the show or doing a review for the show. Um, yeah. For a good two, three years, I haven't been able to watch something that I wanted to for pleasure just to watch it because I'm too busy doing something for the show. And okay. I've really, it's been a pretty bad struggle to try and gain some of that personal time back. Um, mm-hmm. There's ways that I've been able to do that. I've used some of the software tricks like the truncate silence saved me about three to four hours worth of editing. But then- yes, yeah. Then I started doing the outtakes where I clip the sidetrack chatter and push mm-hmm. the, push that to the back of the episode and put music over top of it. But yeah, yeah. those outtakes have been taking excessively large amounts of time because you got to trim them. Sometimes you have to add a little bit of the conversation that happens before it to add the context of why the joke is there. Yes, yeah. I mess around with outtakes on our show too. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. But it's so worth it when you find good shit. It's just... Oh my God, it takes so long. Yeah. Um, It got to be too much of a struggle. So I I kind of pared that back. And I think I've stopped doing that as well. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to try and find a way to make it easier to do the outtakes and, you know, maybe get some different equipment and everything. But I can't afford to do that anymore. I can't just start buying equipment left and right like I had been doing in the past. Um, Sure, yeah. And I, when I kind of put it to the listeners, I, I asked some people in the Facebook group, and then I've also just kind of interacted with some people that, uh, you know, just kind of chatted with me about the show. And I was like, hey, uh, if you guys want me to be able to do this or improve it, uh, I can like, go fund me or something like that. And everybody's like, no, the show's fine. Just leave it be. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, but if I just leave it be, then I can't keep doing it the way I've been doing it. I need to get some free time back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that was going to be one of my questions was... Um... I was going to ask because, you know, a lot of the movies that you do on the show tend to be older ones. And I was curious if you, aside from stuff for the show, that if you had watched a lot of newer horror movies or if you really keep up with much of that at all. Um, if it comes into my purview, absolutely. I don't specifically seek out a lot of horror that's new. Um, okay. If it becomes kind of, I don't want to say like a buzzword thing, but if like I notice other podcaster friends of mine are excited about something that's new or something along those lines that I'm more intrigued or interested in it. I don't actively seek out trailers anymore. And I'm, I don't do a lot of the, for a little while there, I was doing a lot of the, just if it was on streaming, just dive in and give it a shot, watch about 15 minutes max. If it doesn't Mm -hmm. grab you and if it's not any good, then just stop it, you know? But yeah, I don't do much of that, but I will, I'll watch trailers if it's something that I'm on the fence about or like something I I know nothing and I just want to see what the production value of the movie is even. Like I won't even watch the whole trailer. I'll just play enough to be like, oh no, this is like super homemade looking. I don't want to watch this. 
or you know what I mean uh, just to kind of get a sense of that of it uh, that quality level of it but um, yeah it's, it's tough because there's so much stuff that comes out and I would say so much of it is not worth watching but then there's those few things that come out that are just fucking amazing that you're like okay that made it all worth it yeah i totally agree i tend to lean more towards older films just because there's more i don't want to call it a nostalgic kind of thing but for mm -hmm. me the the older movies i've never had an issue with just because it was made in like say 1958 or 1975 right. or whenever it was made just because it's from a specific year or it's mm -hmm. pre-1980 or something doesn't mean that it isn't a good film and it won't be effective um, sure. and there's that where i've always kind of liked older films um mostly because that's what i usually had access to again right, the right. rental stores or just even cable channels and things like that that i would be able to get where i grew up you didn't really get to see much more than some of these older films or these kind of grimy grindhousey type films that were just there and that's all you yeah. got your hands on um and I don't actively dislike something just because it's newer, but when you watch a lot of older movies, especially the cinema, I would say it was really bad in like the 90s, for especially for horror. In the 90s and the early 2000s, most horror yes. films were really bad at just referencing all of these older films. And here's my Jaws yeah, shot. Yeah. Here's my Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, up look at the monster before he hits you in the head with a hammer shot. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Everything was so referential that I was like, okay, I get it. You saw this movie too. Can you show me something that you came up with? Mm -hmm. And Yeah, a, I agree. A lot of filmmakers nowadays are not doing that as much. I'm glad that that trend died off because I just remember reading Fango articles in the 90s as a kid and just being like, great, you really like this movie, so you decided to make your version of it but not call it that. Well, why, mm -hmm. don't, why don't you make your movie? What what movie do you have? What's, what's your voice? What's yes, your yeah, thing yeah. you want to say? Oh, I agree. I, I love the more original and, and weirder ideas and stuff. And even, uh, I, I think, you know, the fact that you're doing not necessarily all older stuff, but that you do a lot of older stuff, I feel like you try to pick things that are not the typical older stuff that everyone wants to cover, you know, all the, the old movies that everybody knows. And I think you guys try to really stray from that and, and do outside the box stuff, which is kind of the avenue I've been going down myself, but with newer stuff where I've been trying to find the newer stuff that's not as talked about or, or the things that just come out that are not like the whatever the fourth movie in the Conjuring series or whatever, <laughs> whatever that bullshit. Like I don't all the like theater stuff is fine, but I feel like all the best horror movies that I see that come out nowadays are not ones that go to the theaters. So I try and find those and talk about those movies because, you know, everyone knows about the, the new Conjuring movie or the new or whatever. I can't even think of one off the top of my head, but, you know, all that bullshit that ends up in the theaters. Well, a, lo so. a lot of the stuff that ends up in actual theater distribution, they put so much money in it to just do the marketing campaign alone. Yes, that yeah, yeah. You're, you're lucky if it's going to be something that they aren't actively trying to make a ton of money on, and that's the only reason they made it, you know? Mm -hmm. And there are some horror movies that are like that that still turn out great. But mm -hmm. for every one of those, you'll get like a Winchester house or <laughs> yes, or or the latest The Nun, which is just basically Marilyn Manson circa 1997 in a nun's habit is what right. it looks like to me. Like, it's not scary at all, you know? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I think, you know, Marco likes that kind of stuff a little bit. But 
we tend to stay away from it for the most part unless it's something really cool like i think one of our upcoming ones we're doing this like monster thing for october where we're gonna do 31 short movie reviews all through podcasts in october and uh it's split up uh five episodes six movies per episode for like 25 minute discussion on each one so <laughs> we're gonna kind of do these rapid fire reviews and see how that goes but uh one of them that made the list was the uh the quiet place one from this year which was a theater thing but it's kind of a cool movie but it's not like we need to you know beat the drum for that movie it it has its fans people know what it is and we can talk about it a little bit and be like yeah we like this and didn't like that yeah and good enough you know yeah and a lot of the stuff that i end up picking especially the movie stack jenga series if you if you're listening Mm -hmm. to my show and you see the movie like it's titled as movie stack jenga and then what the title of the movie is that was just Mm -hmm. some movie i plucked up or picked up or bought for whatever reason and so this is part of my collection. We're just sure, we're just yeah. we're just looking at a movie that I bought that I haven't gotten a chance to watch yet since yeah, I bought yeah. it, you know. And so and I have very eclectic taste, man. I mean, I'll I'll watch so many different weird things. I mean, I'm just as obsessed with black exploitation, exploitation, sex exploitation, straight up horror, exploitation style horror, grit grime, you know, crime yes. movies, Italian cinema. Like I have I'll have spurts where a lot of this mm-hmm. has kind of gone where I'll find, I don't know, like a see one Godzilla movie when I'm five years old, you know, on right, right. on late night TV. And I'm obsessed with Godzilla ever since. And I have to find every giant monster movie I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I'll find something else where I'll, I don't know, <laughs> like one night I'll see a Billy Jack movie, you know on late night cable and my dad and I stay up late and watch it when I have school and he has to be up at like four in the morning for work and we're just talking about Billy Jack and he's explaining to me you know what this was like when he was a kid to see the movie and how much fun it was to you know go to the drive-in when he saw it or something like that and he's super stoked that I get to watch it with him and so I start getting obsessed with Billy Jack I start watching that or even Walking Tall or Mm -hmm. you know action movies I mean like I have very specific timelines in my life where I have spurts where I'm like into all of these different things. And the only thing that has ever been solid the entire time of my life has been horror films. Like, yes, I, I can't remember a time when I wasn't obsessed with horror, like ever, like as far back as I can have memories. And I remember my childhood. I remember staring at the covers of horror movies in VHS stores or, you know, pictures in books of like horror movies or horror movie characters and stuff like that. Like that's the only thing that has been solid throughout my whole life where other movie genres that we're just kind of starting to delve into on the show is kind of like little spurts of, you know, get obsessed with black exploitation movies and stuff like that. Uh, sure. And then of course my teenage years is when you really start getting obsessed with these exploitation type films when you find those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but most of the stuff that we had in that time frame in like the mid to late nineties were the, uh, erotic thrillers quote unquote <laughs> mm-hmm. and those are terrible <laughs> yeah, yeah i can't wait to rip into a few of those on this show sometime <laughs> sure uh so one one last thing about the podcast and then we'll move on from this because it's not just about podcasting here <laughs> well so it's much of my life is not about podcasting <laughs> so much of my life is about podcasting <laughs> it's like all i have right now <laughs> sure sure well and that's i mean that's kind of the thing i like to 
give people like you a chance to talk about your show because you spend so much time doing the show but i don't feel like you don't you know you don't talk about your own show that much as much as much as you'd like to sometimes i think and so it's kind of cool to get to explain some of your your history and and what your thoughts are behind making the show and the directions that you take and stuff like that so but i also like to step outside of that and be like well let's just talk about the things we are about besides podcasting so <laughs> All right, it's also fun too because uh sometimes we don't get to talk about that shit enough either it's like nobody wants to bring me on their show to talk about you know fucking going running 30 miles a week or whatever they're like yeah that's that's great there's got to be it. a running podcast so, out there oh yeah i'm, I'm sure there is really. <laughs> just not ones that i listen to but <laughs> uh so the the last thing about the show was that um you, uh, we had kind of joked about some of your clips and the inside jokes, and um, I had brought up something before the show about one of the more controversial clips that was was reused in the show, and you said there was a little bit of a story about this, so <laughs> I think um, if you wanted to clear the air about whether your co-host is a uh, neo-Nazi sympathizer or not, he <laughs> told me that he is in fact not a sympathizer. So No, he couldn't be any further from sympathizing. <laughs> like, if anything, he's an antagonist for that type of thing. Like, he really, really hates the, that kind of shit. Sure. No. So there was there was a clip that made it into the show that you would kind of play just to piss him off, where he was <laughs> saying, uh, some, where the, the line is that neo-Nazis are pretty good people. Yeah, but yeah. Obviously, that's... it's taken out of context. And, oh, yeah. And just, just to annoy him. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that I love about doing the clips from the show is we will take lines where if you take it out of context, it sounds, it sounds like horrible, the yeah. most horrible thing ever. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what it basically had happened was Matt was railing against at the time the Charlottesville stuff that had happened, where Trump would not talk about yes, what yeah. had happened, and then actually basically just denounce the violence and denounce the neo-nazis and denounce the white supremacists and yeah, he, he said something like there were there was a questionable decisions made on both sides of the argument or something or you know some kind of horseshit yeah but the particular thing that matt latched onto that really pissed him off is that there was very fine people on both sides and then what he had said is effectively what trump is saying is neo-nazis are blah 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 you know, <laughs> and he said that and he's like, that's exactly what Trump is saying. And I just looked at him and then he looked at me and he shook his head with like, like white, pale, clammy sweat on his face. Like <laughs> he's like, you motherfucker. Yeah. He's like, don't you dare. Don't you dare. And I'm like, that's a clip. That is so a clip. And and so I was at the time I had kind of been just reserving that for if he's doing something that I needed him to just chill for a minute. Because it, it takes the string right out of his back. Like, he just kind of like, oh, man. And, you, <laughs> and like, if people could see it on video, every time I play that clip, like, he dies a little inside. Like, he hates it yes, so yeah. much. He's he's actually tried to barter with me. He's like, can I just say something else really stupid and offensive and you just remove that? I'm like, no, that's not how that works. You got to say something naturally more offensive and vile than that. <laughs> right. You know? And it's gotten to the point now where by doing the clips, I've actually gotten him to consider what it is that he's saying before he says it, because he would just start blurting out some of the most yes. offensive and weird stuff, and a lot of that stuff has become clips over time. Yes, yeah. And now he gets to the point where he's trying to get me to like set set me up to say some of that stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I do pull stuff that I say as well, just as offensive too, or just as weird, you know. 
uh, just you, yes. you're talking about something in the course of a movie and you talk as though you're talking in the character voice when you're trying to rail oh, against yeah, something yeah. they did. And the next thing you know, it becomes a clip that everybody's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Jesus. I think Matt said something along, like one of the one of the phrases that Matt had said that gets used a lot is like, I'm taking another dick is what he said. And yes. that got put into like Chris from Two Strangers, One Podcast made a, a remix of that to like a like a techno dance hall beat for like a rave, <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, which uses that a lot. Um, the, mm-hmm. the seven dicks inside me thing that he said at one point, uh, that got used by Witch a lot in Witch versus Doomsday Clock. I mean, <laughs> and it's one of those things where like it's become this almost like lexicon where the clips are more memorable than anything else in the show that people really latch onto and have a good time. Sure, yeah. And it's almost like this achievement for fellow podcasters where they're like, man, I really want to be a clip on your show, so I'm going to say stuff and be like, can I be a clip? <laughs> I know. I, 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 I kind of was thinking that when I came on. I was like, I got to try and sneak something in there that would be like really bad, but it's got to be natural. You can't just be like blurting out some obnoxious shit. It's got to it's gotta fit, you know? Yeah. Well, and some of the ones that I absolutely love that are the best are like, um, the, if you can't pay your bail, I could probably fix that for a blowy that, that Fancy does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like the thing where we were covering the thing from John Carpenter. So he's talking about how the goop that gets sprayed onto the dogs from the monster when it's transforming mm-hmm. looked like somebody yeah. was blowing a hot load all over the dog. And he just said yeah. it. And I was like, yes, yeah. I was like, dude, do you realize what we're going to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> but even even isolating those things out and grabbing them, it takes up so much time. So it does. Yeah. And I'm trying to get the fans involved in it. I'm like, hey, if you want something to be a clip, pull it out yourself and, you know, send it to me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've had a few people do that and I've tried to use them. But uh, mostly it's been stuff where I'm like, nah, the there's a laughing in the background and everything and it doesn't quite work. And I have to explain it to them and then. I feel like a jerk because they worked really hard to take that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes you gotta be, uh, you gotta be the hard dad. <laughs> yeah, be like, no, this isn't good enough. Go do better. <laughs> but uh, no, it's. I mean, I found your show. Uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago or whatever. Before, before I started bothering you about questions about doing a podcast and then eventually did one Um, i found it a little while before that and was just kind of following and i went back and listened to some of the old episodes so i did not hear the earliest stuff from you guys but i've definitely been listening to every episode uh, since i started following it so i always find some enjoyment even out of listening to stuff that i don't know what it is and then some of the stuff i've listened to and then wanted to go and and see it myself anyways like um the specifically uh, death sentence that I heard you guys cover, and then I was like, I have to see that one now. And so I uh, I went and checked that one out right away after you recommended it. Or no, no, I think actually I went, I saw you covered it, and I was like, shit, I don't want this spoiled, and I've been wanting to see it, so I went to see it, and then not went to the theater to see it, but like went home and watched it on the TV. <laughs> so, but yeah, I I always have uh, have really enjoyed listening to it, and and eventually having the opportunity to become a podcaster on the same network as you and and uh you know come on your show and have you on my show is actually really cool for me so ah well that's uh one of the things that i absolutely love about podcasting and something that i've always tried to be really big on i mean like i've more so than just the show itself i love building a community and just having a bunch of like-minded individuals or people that have similar interests just kind of get together and know that they have a safe place that they can hang out and have some fun and mm-hmm. nobody's going to be a dick because that's kind of my main rule with life is just don't be a dick <laughs> sure right, right. 
Yeah, that definitely helps a lot. <laughs> it makes anyone more tolerable, regardless of other things, as long as they're not a dick. <laughs> it's not a hard level to achieve either. It's like just treat someone else with respect, man. You know, think, sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all you gotta do. That's not too much to ask out of life. You know, yet it's a curb that's yes. it's it's a curb that's less than six inches tall, and yet some people can't step up on it. Oh, I hear you. Well, and uh, you know this can kind of tie into our second part here where before the show we were both talking about how we had uh, made some questionable decisions and, and done bad things and not really been those those mature people that actually care or, or don't want to be addicts to other people and have found ways to, to sort of grow out of that and I thought that would be something that would be cool to talk about and we don't have to incriminate ourselves by confessing to any crimes or anything but uh uh, I know I've heard you reference on the show that you sort of have some, some regrets or, or have done some things that you're not really proud of or acted certain ways. Um, was that mostly throughout like your high school years or, or later on in life that you still were kind of continuing to be an asshole or <laughs> how did uh, you kind of uh, grow out of that? Well, it's, uh, it goes back to my earliest days of childhood. Um, anger issues kind of really kind of go through my whole entire family um okay my dad has the same kind of thing that i have as well it, it was never really diagnosed but the closest thing that i can describe it as is there's a disorder that's known as intermittent um explosive disorder where you just have a rage that just hits you and you can't mm -hmm. control it and you're just super pissed and you can't calm down and you just keep getting more and more angry and eventually you mm -hmm. just kind of blow up now, right. it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be violent or you're going to hit somebody or hurt them. But when you're in that state, you are pretty terrifying to be around. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a really bad temper as a kid with that kind of stuff. And I mean, like, sure, yeah. There, there's some stuff that my even my mom kind of told me that like my father would have that where he would get so angry, blood vessels would pop in his eyes, you know. Wow. <laughs> like, and he got. I mean, it took him a little while, but he actually was able to get that under control. But some of the earliest mm -hmm. days of my life, I, I do kind of remember some of that where I was terrified of making him angry. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if he got mad, that was, you know, that was going to be really bad because he might not be able to calm down. Not that right. I was ever afraid that he would hurt me. It's just that, you know, if there was an inanimate object nearby, that would probably get destroyed. Yes. <laughs> you know, something along those lines. And uh, it took him a little while, but he was able to find ways to deal with that and get over it. And he kind of mellowed out with age too. But um, even just as a kid, I had that. So... You know, you right. got you got a temper, you got a bit of a flair for some, you know, that kind of thing. And now some of the anger that I had, I, I did have some moments where I would strike out with uh, violence and things like that. But mostly it would be like, as far as what I was concerned as a kid, it was somebody who deserved it. Um, and mostly like bullies. I hated bullies sure, sure. my whole entire life. But yes, yeah. uh, I would take it too far to try and do retribution a lot. Uh, I mean, like, a lot as a kid. Um, right. And also, I mean, for the longest time, I really don't even remember ever being concerned when I was young with other people's feelings. Like, I was shut down emotionally mm -hmm. for a better part. I mean, I know teenagers don't really have empathy, so even in those years, like, you kind of have a hard time understanding other people's feelings, but... Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. I felt like in my teenage years, there was a lot of time when I was young where I was worried that now knowing what I know now, looking back, I was like, well, obviously, if you're worried about it, then it's not going to be a problem. But I was terrified I was going to become a serial killer. 
<laughs> like I was, sure, yeah. I was really kind of worried because I couldn't connect with people and literally everybody annoyed me all the time. And I was mm -hmm. constantly saying things to people like, why don't you just fucking die already? You know, and sure, yeah. just super angry and aggressive and just like constant aggro all the time. <laughs> right. You know? And I, I like it took me a really long time to really even feel like I could be a functioning member of society. And it doesn't help that where I grew up was like this super small town in the Appalachia in Pennsylvania. I mean, it's like sort of a touristy town, but it's so right. far up in the mountains. Like, okay. I mean, like there's there's like Hatfields and McCoy settlements, you know, kind of that far <laughs> out there, you know. Uh, yeah. People who have been living up in the mountains for generations and have never sent their kids to school are then forced to send their kids to school under some new law that the state passes and they're riding my bus because that's how far up I am out there. <laughs> right. You know, I always joke like uh, if you took a left turn, like the wrong turn movies and stuff like that. Like, yes, if you made the right turn, you end up in my town. That's how far out we were. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say uh, I I developed sort of that same type of mentality, but I feel like I developed it later, like in my late teens to early to mid 20s was really like where I started to struggle with that lack of empathy and, and feeling annoyed by everyone and everything and like sort of this pent up rage all the time and, and that type of shit and like sort of the same thing where I wouldn't I wouldn't hurt anybody but like being around me like I would smash other things if I was in a fight or mad about something or whatever so I can completely understand that and it was uh it, it was one of those things where I mean I kind of really dig into it whenever we did Jack Brooks Monster Slayer because I mm -hmm. really identified with Jack Brooks character because that's what it felt like where it's like yeah, yeah. I don't want to do this but all of a sudden the, you're you're up in my face and I can't get you to go away and I just really need you to leave me alone mm -hmm. and then the next thing you know you're getting punched in the throat you know that person's getting punched in the throat or something yeah right you know and like it, it, I really connected with that Jack Brooks character for that reason where I was like I kind of understand where he's coming from you know mm-hmm and it's not like I'm some great fighter or anything like that. Most of the time, my mouth wrote checks my body couldn't cash. <laughs> but sure. but it was never one-on-one, -on -one, you know? I mean, like, maybe once or twice it was always one-on-one. -on -one. But usually I would mouth off to, like, a group of five or six people. And the next thing I know, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I'm still conscious with all the stuff they're hitting me with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. I've always had a mouth. I, I always have. And I, mm -hmm. I can kind of take a beating, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, like where I grew up, I did not fit in at all. It, it just, I just didn't fit. I was this kid that was into punk rock. I loved horror movies. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't want to hunt deer. I didn't want to buy a pickup truck. You know, I didn't think that farming was the end all be all career. And mm -hmm. I didn't hate people of a different race just because I was told to, you know, like, sure. like everybody else where I grew up, you know, yeah. and it's just I don't know, like, I just really hated my hometown. I had, like, three really close good friends uh, from that era of my life, like, high school and before. And the three of us all left that town and really kind of never looked back other than to visit family. Mm -hmm. And I think we all kind of resent and harbor ill will towards that entire town. Uh, one of us more than others, and I'm proud to say that it's no longer me. <laughs> Right. Uh, but the real big turning point is I got to college and I got mm -hmm. away from all of that. And I found more people that were like me, people that love punk rock, people that love death metal and black metal and horror movies. Sure, and, sure. You know, like 
the first time I could say, hey, have you ever seen Demons? It's this weird, crazy Italian film. And someone's like, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> like, you, you can kind of... Can, You're like, what? Yeah, you can. You finally found someone who is like into some of the same things that you are. So you can kind of connect with them. And then you start, sure. you start finding like, hey, I care about you. And this is something I'm not used to. <laughs> yes. Um, sure, yeah, yeah. And around that same time, too, is when I met my now wife and then became my girlfriend then. I mean, we've been together for 20 years now. <laughs> okay. We're, we're coming up on 20 years uh, soon. Uh, in the 19th, 2019, in the winter of 2019, it'll be 20 years since nice. we started dating. Uh, and we've been married for five now, coming up on... No, six now, coming up on seven. Nice, nice. So, I mean, that has been with only one sort of not really break but uh where we lived apart for about a year when she moved out here to omaha which is the reason that i'm here um, okay. and she is the most empathic i don't know if that's the right word for it but i don't like saying empathetic because that sounds like you're calling someone pathetic <laughs> <laughs> sure sure she has a level of empathy that i have never seen in anyone else before this or after mm -hmm. uh she literally will get charged up by other people's moods so mm -hmm. if everybody's having a really good time and laughing and super happy she's just on cloud nine and ecstatic and like you know just full of joy and really really happy but mm -hmm. if someone around her like me has an anger issue um that negative mood really affects her really badly and really yes, brings, yeah. really really brings her down you know sure yeah and not not so much empathy to where she gets to be like will graham from uh <laughs> from like hannibal or like manhunter <laughs> but um it's one of those things where like if i'm in a really bad mood and i'm super angry it depresses her it scares her it it takes energy away from her and being around her and becoming involved with her and we were kind of friends and i was interested in her pretty much from the moment i met her there was one of those things where it's like I, I something about her I gravitated towards and I didn't know what it was and I still can't right. quite put my finger on it uh, but it's just one of those things where it's like this cheesy like Hollywood meet cute romance thing where I saw her and it was like this halo of light you know like <laughs> an aura yeah yeah or like you know like uh, they do the thing where uh, a really good example of like how cheesy this sort of thing is that they do in the movies is in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back when Justice walks into the fast food movies restaurant right, right. and like her hair's blowing in the wind and she's lit <laughs> perfectly and, yes yeah. and, you know and like and like uh bad medicine starts playing like i would have totally thought that was horse shit you know that that never happens that's just something that people make up to try and explain how romance works until i met my wife okay then i'm like holy shit that's something that does happen because that happened to me sure, right. <laughs> you know and it's not just because of how she looked, there was just something about her that drew me to her. Like, I don't know mm -hmm. what it is and I can't explain it. And so trying to kind of get to know her and kind of see if we would be compatible in any way, shape or form for a relationship before I even, you know, got past that that genuine infatuation. I noticed that when I was in a bad mood and I would like kind of go off about something, not necessarily that she would wince, but she would just kind of get really withdrawn and quiet and wasn't wasn't like happy it would really make her upset and i was really affecting her mood and so yes, yeah. i was trying to modulate my anger and control it to the point where like she's so she has so much empathy she can even tell how i feel if i don't even say anything she just senses it you know yeah <laughs> and well, uh, that's a uh, um oh go ahead oh no I, i'll just go finish ahead. your thought well i was gonna say that that 
is interesting because I feel like that is a big part of what has helped me is not only um, you know negativity or anger or like hatred of things or just any sort of general bad mood I guess that I could I could like put into the space of, of being around her but even just my unwillingness to try to be flexible or think about things in a different perspective would would always negatively affect her and it'd be like well I don't want to be the person for bringing this other person down and for some reason like I never felt like I had to carry that responsibility before where like I really wanted to be a part of her life but I didn't want to be a bad part of it you know like everything is is good and if I'm the bad part then how can I not be the bad part you know what I mean so yeah so it's interesting you kind of put it in that same way that like she is is adaptable to whatever the mood is so like if you are being a dick if you're you know being pissed off about stuff or or whatever that it's gonna affect her negatively there was a lot of times too where somebody would do something or someone would start angering me and i wasn't Mm -hmm. even angry at her but it still affected her badly so oh yeah yeah i would i would have to calm down and i'd be like you're not getting your head kicked in today pal and you're lucky that she's around me you know, mm-hmm. or today's not the day I add you to the list of people I want to beat to death with a baseball bat with spikes in it, you know? <laughs> right. Um, or a gnome stick. Yeah. Yeah. A gnome stick. Yeah. <laughs> I do have an actual gnome stick. It was a Halloween I I, costume, so it's awesome. <laughs> I, I heard on the episode and I'm like, man, you should make cinema psyops gnome sticks. I want one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually make this. It was a buddy of mine and his wife did Apple and Turbo Kid from That's Turbo awesome. Kid. And yeah. his, he, they made an actual gnome stick for her to carry around. And they were like, at the end of the night, this is yours. I'm like, you better fucking believe that's my gnome stick. <laughs> no, they were going to give yeah, it to me anyway. So, awesome. but, uh, so I, 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 I say this a lot on the show, and I try to kind of illustrate to people without going into too many details of some of the things that I've done. Because I'm, I'm focusing in on like kind of the anger and aggressive side of things. But, I mean, there's mm-hmm. other things that I did, too, that I'm, I feel bad about. Like, I got, right. I got known in my teenage years for um a certain ability that and things that other teenage boys weren't into doing (laughs) okay preferably with my tongue and for a very young lady that or a young lady of my age that you know (laughs) may be interested in that um but i also got known for keeping my mouth shut about it and not bragging to everybody that that sort of thing happened okay and so i ended up kind of becoming like uh as howling wolf used to call it the backdoor man right (laughs) so like you know the this this guy's girlfriend isn't getting what she wants from him so she's nice to me just long enough to get off and then won't even acknowledge that i exist and because i tried to be quote unquote a gentleman and won't talk about it and nobody knows that i did it (laughs) you know or that right they were there yes so i have to live with the guilt that like yeah dude uh I went down on your girlfriend the other night, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but at the same time, sure. she's not admitting to it. And so I can't admit to it. And like, yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of that part of my life where I, I was, you know, that kind of thing. And it's almost like um, I kind of equate it to uh, that bastard character in Death Gossam, <laughs> <laughs> where, you know, he sets up his best friend to you know, not be there so he can go and try and get this hot chick and sleep with her because that's the kind of jerk he is. Like, sure, yeah, yeah. it was that level of like treachery and villainy that I was a part of. <laughs> okay. And, you know, I, I mean, I also joke about it too, but I was a whore. I was such mm-hmm. a whore as a kid, you know? And right. for that very reason where it was like, I got known for being able to be that guy. And then, sure, yeah. And then 
you know, no one was interested in me other than that. And so I ended up, you know, being like the side piece. <laughs> yes. And I was okay with that, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but at the same time, like you really have to like kind of live with yourself where it's like, you know, you're friends with somebody or you know someone or you're a casual acquaintance with someone and mm -hmm. their girlfriend's coming to you to get off because they can't do it. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't so much of a whore as much as uh, I would get kind of more involved in quote unquote hood rat shit. <laughs> I believe the kids call it nowadays. <laughs> You'll have to but, enlighten me because I'm not up on the kids terminology these days. Uh, you know, just more general mischief, uh, vandalism, maybe a little bit of uh, petty theft, like, you know, those kind of things. We would like steal signs. We would fucking break windows, like, you know, just do general melee type stuff when we were younger. We'd get drunk and go around and fucking do bad things. And, like, oh, yeah. We used to do that kind of stuff, too. Where There's not much to do in sure, this small sure. town. We used to. Yeah. We there was a friend of ours when we were in high school that was like a big cigarette smoker. He loved Marlboro Reds. Right. So we went to a gas station about a mile or so from his house and stole their cigarette sign that had the Marlboro Reds, and, <laughs> and like put it in his driveway. That's um, awesome. Uh, we used to do things where uh, <laughs> I can't believe I'm admitting to some of this stuff, but like a <laughs> like a that's okay. A friend of ours that we had a falling out with. Um, we actually ended up like doing some stuff where we dug all the shale out of his driveway so it was nothing but mud like oh nice like two days before we knew it was going to be a rainstorm and we just kind of like they had a tractor on their farm so we kind of used the, the plow part of it to do it so we didn't even have to work hard one of us just fired it up and backed all the stuff out of there and just kind of like <laughs> just just set it off to the side of the driveway so that they could smooth it back out later but just did it in such a way so that their driveway would just be a bog <laughs> yes yeah. you know um, that's awesome. Dragging roadkill to somebody's house and leaving it on their front lawn just because they did some shit that pissed you off, you know? <laughs> real real rednecky stuff because you didn't know what else to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so a similar kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean... Redneck, hood rat, whatever. Yeah, and we... I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff like, you know, if there was an unoccupied building, all the windows were already broken out, you know? Yes. But... Yeah, we, we would break into the buildings, like, find the spot where the fence was kind of messed up and, like, fucking climb over it. We'd go in there and, like, hang out and shit and, like, throw things around and <laughs> do that kind of stuff. You know, smoke joints in there and shit. Yeah. Well, there was an old asylum near where I grew up, too, that was been abandoned nice. for, like, ever. And we used, to, we used to go in there and, and fuck around and you kind of get to know the place enough to where if you take yeah. other people there you can scare the living shit out of them and they don't even know it's you <laughs> you know like there's That's a awesome there's like a yeah. broken pipe that if you kind of tap just right makes a weird noise on the other end of it so if you're nowhere there in the room <laughs> or you know something along those lines or you tell them stories about all this sick twisted shit that you saw happen or knew happened yes. there yeah, yeah and then everybody's got that tale of the one house that's up on the hill that like this horrible mm -hmm. axe murder took place you know right and then you go up there and then you try to convince people they're seeing ghosts one of the, one of the things that uh one of the things that i used to love doing it was me and another metalhead buddy of mine um he was really big on tricking people into playing with ouija boards and okay. him and i would work together to move it so he, he would he would ask a question and it would be like he would try to get someone who was dead and it would be he would ask a question of like something about the person that i would know that like the other people may not have known or something along those lines. So we would do this thing where we would pretend like we were actually talking about the spirit. And uh, at one point in time, like there were some people that were like super scared. So I would do a thing where I would jerk all of a sudden and then just look at someone and do like a, like a 
like a death stare and try and scare the shit out of them have people right. like running out of the haunted house terrified and then you just be like making noises and coming at them and then mm -hmm. like wait a couple minutes and then start screaming like why did you guys leave me why am i here and then when they come back do it all again and scare the shit out of them <laughs> sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know taking, awesome. taking cues from evil dead and stuff like just ge general <laughs> bastard asshole shit that you do when you're a kid you know yeah yeah well especially as a kid it's more excusable than when you get older and do actual criminal activities a little bit more sketchy well i mean but, any uh, as soon as you turn 18 trespassing's not as much fun sure because <laughs> because you'll spend the night in jail at the very least at that point if you get busted if when you're a kid yeah. when you're a kid they take you back to your parents you know your parents get a finger wagged at them and you might just uh, get let go and it's all fine yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah we we did something like that where the when we were younger we my friend's house was getting worked on and we climbed up the scaffolding onto the roof and we had this this like five gallon pail full of um i don't know if you if you guys have these around there but there's these trees that grow these orange berries that look like little teeny tiny oranges but they're kind of hard yeah yeah it's like and almost so, like a walnut tree or something i think that does that yeah we would like fucking we took a whole bucket up there and we were chucking them at like cars and bystand and like people walking by and stuff <laughs> and eventually like a, a the cops were called because we like were obviously throwing shit at people's cars and they're like what the fuck and so then the cops came and they just you know took us in the house and we're like oh these kids were you know doing this and that don't do that again kind of just you know the finger wag so we uh we got really big into paintballs and mm -hmm. about the time that one of us got our first license we right. we realized that three people could sit in a gun in a car with paintball guns and this is pre 9-11 where you could probably get away with this a lot more than what you could now <laughs> Sure, and, yeah. and we would just drive around the roads and like shoot other cars with paintballs you know yes. yeah, like yeah. you try to do it on the low low and the sly sly where you're like just kind of holding the thing out the window and you got your arm covering it up and you try and hit their window or you know you'd hit their car and like freak them out or you try and get as many paintballs <laughs> as you could and at one point in time we were doing this and the next thing we know we saw rollers and my buddy had drove like a maniac and uh, I think the statute of limitations may be up on this or not, but someone may or may not have been shooting the cop's window with the paintballs to try and make it to where they couldn't see. <laughs> we took the license plate off the car for that one. So I'm not I'm not going to confirm nor deny that that did or did not happen in my youth. And I hope the statute of limitations ran out on that. <laughs> I'm sure they got bigger fish to fry nowadays. <laughs> yeah. There's some somebody in my hometowns listening to that going, that was you? <laughs> you know. Well, I will say thank you for listening and don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't be don't be me when I was a kid. Don't be a dick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's really funny, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. I'll let you finish your thought. Uh well, I would tell this stories to my wife back when I right. first met her and she was, you know, we were just starting to date and I'm like, "Yeah, I did this. I did that. I'm not too proud of it, but yeah, I did it and I'm an asshole." And she's like, right. "You're right. You're full of shit. You're a liar." We come, she came home with me one time and she got to meet some of my friends from high school and it was like on like a, you know, one of the breaks from college. And uh, so they start telling the story about this thing that we did, you know, and right. uh, and my and she looks at me and she goes and like totally unprompted, didn't even tell them to tell her, you know, so they just start talking about it. They're like, oh, you remember that time <laughs> that, you know, we were paintballing cars <laughs> and we got chased and so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that. And there's like, and then you, you crazy yeah, yeah. bastard. And then she looks at me and she goes, you did what? I was like, <laughs> I told you I did that. She's like, yeah, but I thought you were lying. I'm like, I wasn't. <laughs> there's a, 
That was another time too where uh, <laughs> I was on like I was taking like the shuttle from our dorm to our college that was in downtown Pittsburgh. And I, okay. I was telling a story of something that I had done at a concert I got dragged to. It was like this uh, Christian music festival. My mom and my dad are both pretty religious. Okay. And my mom dragged me to this Christian music festival. And uh, I was really bored and I was sitting on like this planter thing on one of the other stages. It was like a, you know, stage A, stage B kind of thing where they switch back and forth while they're yeah, doing yeah. the setups. Well, it was like the, the B stage where it was like the, the more, you know, trying to be like Nirvana type Christian music bands at the time. Yes. And, yeah. and uh, there was a guy that was like up there doing his thing and he stopped during one of the songs and tried to talk people out of moshing because that's not what Christians do. You know, this is about <laughs> the glorification of God or something along those lines. And right, right after he did that speech and they kicked back into the song, it was like right at the crescendo whenever you would be moshing on a normal song. I'm up on yeah. this planner that's like by the stage and where these people are, you know, standing there and they want to mosh, but they don't. You see him hopping up and down and pogoing. And I, <laughs> I scream out, I love God at the top of my lungs and jumped into the crowd and started up a mosh pit just to piss <laughs> the guy off. And, that's awesome. And he stopped again and he's like, you, you, you can't be here and like doing all this stuff, right? So, oh, so I'm telling, flash forward, fast forward to where I'm riding the bus to the shuttle, you know, to school. And I'm telling one of my friends at school in college about this. And he's like, yeah, right. You're full of shit. And then I get to the point where I'm like, no, seriously, dude, I screamed out. I love God and jumped in and started the mosh pit up right after the guy did that. And a girl like two or three seats behind went, that was you. <laughs> That's great. And he just looked at me like, you are fucking evil man that's amazing <laughs> and then she's like no that happened <laughs> yeah it's always nice when you get confirmation like that <laughs> yeah all right so that's Perfect. everything else i can't really talk about because uh you know no 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 there's statute of limitations i have to worry about for a lot of these things <laughs> sure sure well and i i think there's some things that it's it's better to tell no one ever and then you don't have to feel like, oh, then there's that one person I might have to kill someday because I told them about this. Yeah, and we don't want it in a recorded audio format. I'm still nervous about talking about getting chased by the cops with the paintball gun thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but I, I think, you know, a lot of that stuff is definitely more attributed to just being young and testing the limits and kind of learning what the uh, the ins and outs of normal behavior is really, you know, so a lot of that is, is fairly excusable, I feel like. And being lucky but, you grew uh, up in an extremely small town where cops aren't going to shoot a freaking white kid with a paintball gun. Sure, right. <laughs> we, lucked, yeah, that's... we lucked out they didn't unload on our car. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I realize how stupid that was now that we did mm -hmm. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you said, luckily we're white. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that helps in that situation for sure. I don't like that that's the only reason that we probably didn't get killed, but I'm kind of glad that I'm still alive. <laughs> yes, I'll take the win on that. <laughs> I'm glad to be alive. I'm not glad under the circumstances and the reason why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, it's, I mean, you know, the stuff where I got into later in life where I had these kids when I was younger and things kind of went bad fast after my kids were born and I ended up in kind of a bad place where I just, I sort of um, was really like self-deprecating but in a more not funny, realistic way about a lot of things. And so that was a big thing that my girlfriend helped me to kind of turn things around in that way for me to get me where I'm actually trying to be creative and be positive and be constructive and, and do different things and improve my health and just be a better person 
for my kids and for just the people I'm around. But, you know, the, the one thing that really always stuck with me is I, I, I don't know, I came home from work and was mad and somebody was telling me something I didn't like. And I was just kind of like shitting on myself about like, oh, I'm a piece of shit and like I hate myself and whatever. And she said, well, I wish you wouldn't say stuff like that. And I'm like, well, why does it matter? Like, I'm, I'm just saying bad stuff about myself. And she goes, yeah, but I care about you. And if I care about you and you are that, then what does that say about me? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I never really thought about it that way. And then ever since then, like, I won't overtly, like, shit on myself. Like, I'll do it as, as a joke or something. But I, I learned the line that day a very long time ago. Yeah, it's a and, really interesting experience because I've had something extremely similar with my wife where okay, she's like, I love you and you are talking bad about someone I love. What am I supposed to do? Just let you do it? Because if someone yes, else yeah, did yeah. that, I'd beat their ass. <laughs> So it's tough because I, I don't think we always realize what talking bad about yourself or feeling bad about yourself actually does to other people. And then just from, from you know, being in her shadow all the time of, like, she was always... When I met her, she was already, like, going to boxing and doing all these positively upward trending things in her life. And I was fucking just kind of picking up the pieces of my broken early relationship that had two kids come out of it. And, uh... She kind of taught me a lot about and just set an example for me. But at the same time, didn't make me feel like I had to do anything. It was more like I felt like I was falling behind and wanted to catch up type of thing. So it was never like, oh, you need to quit smoking. You need to get in shape. You need to eat better. Like she doesn't tell me what to do. I decide to do it on my own because I feel like I don't want to disappoint her. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. A lot of the stuff, a lot of the choices that I make in my life for the good and for the positive have been, I can't do this to my wife i can't do this to the person that i love like yeah yeah me i was really grossly really badly overweight within the last couple of years it's it's been enough to where not even morbidly obese would really probably cover it <laughs> okay you know like i carry my weight in the area where the doctors are like you got to be less people because you will die this this right, this, right. this ring of your stomach here where you look like a beach ball with like toothpicks stuck in it with your arms and legs that's not good, man. That's death. That's <laughs> right, that's super right. early death. You got to get rid of that. Yes, yeah. And I've struggled with my weight pretty much my entire life. I've been skinnier on different parts of my life, depending upon what type of physical activity I have to do for jobs. Like when I was a ditch digger, I was super swole because I was lifting weights and digging ditches for this plumbing HVAC place that I worked at. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, I did a little bit of farm work where um, I did some cattle slaughtering stuff. Um <laughs> <laughs> also, mm -hmm. I used to bail hay, and then I hated doing that, and I had hay fever. So I was like, hey, will you pay me more and make me work less if I do this job? So, yeah, I'll kill some cows for you. <laughs> you know, you Nothing get, wrong with that. Yeah, you get involved with that Someone's kind of Someone's got to do it. Right. <laughs> People got to eat meat, man. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you kind of, like, the more physical activity you have, the better shape that you're in. But... Absolutely. I went from a job where I used to do quality assurance for an electronics company that made um, electronics for buses, like uh, when you take a tour bus or something like that, and they have the screens that pop up or all this fancy stuff, or even okay. or even like the really fancy like upscale buses where they have like big fold out screens that are like high definition, like ultra high def and stuff. They make that stuff that gets installed okay. there, um, and I would test all this stuff. And I would have to be all over the factory and running all over the place. And I got pretty skinny and was in pretty good shape there. And mm -hmm. then I became a computer programmer and I sit on my ass all day, every day for eight plus hours a day. Not, yeah, it not, doesn't help. Not counting podcasting. And I put on 
a ridiculous amount of weight. And when I say morbidly obese, I mean morbidly, comma, morbidly, dot, 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 <laughs> morbidly obese. <laughs> Sure, sure. Um, and I've I'm coming back from that pretty well. I have to today as of this recording, I've actually dropped about sixty total pounds. My goal is a hundred. Um, nice. That'll be coming up pretty soon. That's my next bout around there. Once I drop the one hundred, I'm gonna kind of see how I look and I feel. And I'm doing it right now with just diet and trying to be more active. I haven't actually gotten into the full fledged exercise, but. I've, yeah. I've kind of found that by dropping the weight, I'm more interested in doing things. So yes. I, yeah, yeah. I've been kind of giving, my, helps. giving myself projects and things like that to do. And I'm hoping that by the time this year closes out, I'll be able to get the last leg of that done. And I'm kind of thinking that since it's always hard to do those last like 20, 30 pounds, it, mm -hmm. it's going to be the time where I have to get back into lifting and, and that kind of stuff because I haven't done that in years. Right, right. Yeah, I... I um. I have an elliptical machine, but I want to get rid of that and get a treadmill where not even like what, like, cause for running, I like to just go outside and do it. But, um, I feel like if I had a treadmill that I could just put on like walking speed and had a little thing where I could put my computer and I would just watch a movie and fucking walk for an hour and a half and it wouldn't even bother me. You know what I mean? So there was a time where I would take, we have this very small kind of compact exercise bike. Mm -hmm. And, uh, for a little while there, my wife and I had a competition of trying to do a certain set amount of time on this little stationary type of bike and mm -hmm. it was just small enough i could put it behind the desk and arrange things in my office while i was editing audio and i would just sit there on the mm -hmm. thing doing the audio editing but constantly moving my legs on the bike and trying to put miles in yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, i actually was able to do that for quite a while it's just that nice uh, it was just that i wasn't willing to change my diet and that was my biggest problem i mean like you know you oh yeah yeah <laughs> well they say that you can't you can't outwork a bad diet for sure no yeah it, so it doesn't matter what you do and for me my metabolism is just jacked anyway because my parents cranked me full of sugar as a kid and yeah, mac and cheese and bad food like that and i'm really right. i'm addicted to sugar really bad like i i it that took a lot to kick that habit um yeah i still consume too much sugar <laughs> That's why I run so much. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the keto thing seems to really work for me. My metabolism really responds to doing that. Yeah, um, yeah. At the initial, like, induction phase to switch over to become, you know, a fat-burning individual was rough. But yes, uh, yeah. it's at the point now where I have to actually eat off-plan, like, well, at least at the start of it, too, and then, like, kind of maybe about two months in, I've noticed that every now and then I have to eat off-plan because... I don't want to drop weight too fast because you don't want all that loose skin. <laughs> yeah, well, and it just makes you weak, too. Like, you don't feel good if you drop it too fast. Yeah, and you end up also losing muscle mass with it, too. If You know, you got to be real careful. you got to keep your protein up and all that stuff and things that, I've, yeah. things that I've had to learn. And the reason that I'm doing all of this is I knew I was going to die, and I was going to die real soon if I wasn't careful. It's like, dude, you're in your late 30s. You're lucky mm -hmm. if you're going to make it another five years if you don't do something. And I didn't want to leave my wife alone in five yeah, years. For sure, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I'm sure, you know, just doing those things makes you feel better. And then, obviously, that positively impacts your relationship as well. So it's, uh, it's interesting because I have grown to actually be able to do this like if if this came up like seven years ago when i had only been with marissa for a couple of years 
I would not have had any interest in like podcasting because I'd be like, I people just annoy me. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't <laughs> care what people think. Like, fuck everyone. And just because she's also a social person and she interacts and is part of like a, a CrossFit team and like her job is in social work and you know she's very much in the interacting side of things and I just didn't want want to interact with people and I've learned to accept that and and become something that I actually love to do in in you know small enough doses taking baby steps yeah my wife has to drag me out to do things and <laughs> yes like, yeah if it if it weren't for her i probably wouldn't have gone on the trips that i've gone i wouldn't have visited the places i've visited gone to different mm-hmm. shows that i've gone to because yeah, of that I, same I reason where i'm like i don't i don't want to be around them those people suck <laughs> yes <laughs> you know and I, I just want my stuff and my place <laughs> yeah. my fucking chair and I even get that way with like our own friends where she's like, you mean your friends? I'm like, yes, those assholes. I don't want to be around yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's like a mental disorder. Like you don't mean it. You don't really feel no, that way. I, it's just. I you totally can, have that same thing. Yeah. You just, you can't help it where you have this automatic like negative reaction where you're like, no, that, that those are people. I don't, I don't like people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I have that exact same thing that she has helped me get over immensely. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh. I think your lady and my lady should get together, maybe have a couple of glasses of wine and just chat about the introverted assholes that they got themselves stuck with. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, there must be something charming about us, I guess. (laughs) Got something going for us, right? I think it's my beard, I think is what it is. And possibly your beard too. Maybe it's the beards. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, it must be. (laughs) And I think, you know, the, the other thing is that we both, we're both honest about the fact that we were like yeah i i don't like to do this like we don't try and fake it and just be like oh yeah i'm here because my wife fucking made me come and like this blows and like we're honest about it and don't try and pretend like it's it's who we are you know yeah well i have and i I think that uh strong-minded women like like you know your yours and mine are more attracted to that kind of thing of just honesty and realism so well and i don't think i have a filter where i can't just come right out and say what the fuck i'm thinking <laughs> like yeah. it's hard for me to not just be like you're a fucking idiot to somebody for being a fucking idiot i mean like mm-hmm. that, that you'll hear that on my show whenever matt and i are talking and he'll make a joke and i'll be like i fucking hate you that's like a legit <laughs> genuine reaction i'm not playing it up like i got <laughs> angry at him at that particular moment yes yeah and you know that's that's kind of how it goes and even when the groups of us get together like um when we went to we went to arkansas for matt's birthday uh Mm -hmm. uh like last month or two months ago depending upon when this gets released but uh when we were down there all the stuff that we were doing where they're like hey let's go out on a boat in the lake and we'll all go swim in you know i'm sitting on the boat i'm listening to like a audio book and just kind of chilling out you know fucking around on facebook on my phone Looking yeah. up, looking up, and looking out at the the surrounding area, and just like really enjoying the view of the lake. But I'm not getting in the water, and I'm just kind of mm-hmm. sitting there hiding from the sun. And like on, I can't even count the number of times not not just one person, but everyone in the group would be like, "Are you sure you're having a good time?" Like everybody's worried about whether or not I'm fine, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm good. It's totally cool." Yes. And uh, yeah. his, his <laughs> Matt's mom was just kind of like talking to bev where she like took bev aside and she's like i don't know if court's having a good time and i don't know what to do to make it so he can have fun and bev's like he's fine trust me he's fine <laughs> if if he wasn't fine you'd know <laughs> yes absolutely yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's like a perfect example where it's like you get together with these groups of people and you're just kind of like withdrawn and still kind of like yeah i'm just gonna be over here 
<laughs> you, you go do that. That's fine. <laughs> For sure. So I guess the uh, the moral of the story is that it is possible to grow and evolve as human beings. It just seems like not so many people are willing to do that these days. Well, shit, man. I was a monster before my wife. So if anybody, if I can do it, I, anybody yes. can grow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I agree. But, uh, you know, I just thought that was cool because I've heard you talk about it on the show. And I don't, I talk a little bit about my personal life and I joke about how like I, I hate my kids and <laughs> I guess you can see a little bit of where that comes from that I, I kind of struggle with this lack of feeling emotion towards things and it's like here are these things you're supposed to care about more than anything else in the world and it's like but they're not me so <laughs> that's hard for me so <laughs> yeah I, and I've, I get I've gotten that. better about that for sure so yeah and that is has grown as well it's it's an it's an issue that a lot of people can't quite wrap their head around where it's like you know yeah they're, they're like so and so is your family you're supposed to love them regardless and i'm like yeah but this particular person is also toxic and every time i'm around them they make me want to freaking open up my veins why yeah, should why, sh why should i talk to them i if they're gonna make me feel like that i shouldn't be obligated to be around them just because i'm related to them by blood <laughs> yeah, that sounds like the way I feel about my kids. <laughs> wow. See, and like that kind of that kind of cold detachment, um, a lot of people can't understand because they automatically just don't get that that you can be that kind of like cold, detached, and analytical. Where it's like, this is the way I feel. I can't make myself not feel that way. You know. Yes. At, at least when it comes to kids, I totally understand because like I'm I'm totally that way with all kids. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's I have a hard time not thinking of things pragmatically at all times and and like with kids you know practicality goes out the window it's like no you have to drive here and then drive there and then go back and then forth and then do fucking 40 different things that don't make any sense it's like but why none of this this is all bullshit like it doesn't make any sense to me you know what i mean <laughs> like well because that's what it is with kids and it's like well that fucking sucks so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know it's, it's hard because i i want to do everything that like makes sense and is practical and in, in, in this unilateral like i decide what is fucking the right thing to do and then we do that but that's not always how it works so well that's the the whole struggle with everything in my life including my show yeah where i want yes. it to be a certain way i picture it this way i worked really hard to get all the details this way and then this force of nature that's my co-host and in your case your kids comes in and ruins this plan that you had <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's tough because you know you can't you can't always have your way and uh wow we sound like a bunch of selfish pricks right here <laughs> i know well it, i mean i think it's it's good to be honest about it because i know that i have a hard time not thinking about myself first and therefore i can at least consider that like am i thinking about other people or just myself you know and i think that's something that i learned from marissa is that that is a thing you can do <laughs> like you don't have to always be like well i care about myself first and i'll just do the other things i'm obligated to do well so. in the end of your life you're the one that's responsible for your own happiness you're the, yeah, yeah. you're the one that's responsible for all the choices that you make mm -hmm. and you should not feel obligated to be with someone that ruins that because you get a certain yes, amount of yeah. time you don't even oh, yeah, yeah. you don't even know how long it's going to last you absolutely you don't know when you're going to die you don't know how much time you have left on this earth and if you don't want to go to a karaoke bar for somebody's birthday then you shouldn't have to go <laughs> I'm not using an example out of my actual life that may have happened two or three weeks ago. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. 
That sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a traumatic experience in itself. Yeah, you know. We should have a, a series instead of bring your own cinematic trauma, where it's like bring your own social trauma, people trauma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where just you and I get together and be like, can you believe that last week I had to go to a party with 47 fucking people at an outdoor thing and fucking talk to this asshole that, oh my god, yeah, don't even get me started on that. (laughs) (laughs) Or how about I missed the last two movies of the Joe Bob Briggs Marathon and I didn't know if it was going to replay because my wife had a work (laughs) obligation and I had to go to this pop-up restaurant and I haven't slept in 23 hours and I want to kill everybody, but I have to be polite. (laughs) but we do it because we love them yeah and she makes me a better person she makes me know that other people have emotions that i need to be concerned about and try not to be a dick if i can do it anybody can if i cannot be a dick anybody can do it (laughs) that is the lesson that we learned in today's show is don't be a dick (laughs) and learn how not to be a dick (laughs) yes absolutely uh cool so i think we'll, we'll wrap it up here with that and uh We'll definitely have to come back around and talk about some more mischief from our our childhood and other fun topics and things that we've grown up doing. Uh, But until uh, that time, I I also want to have you come on to review some movies. I think uh, I I haven't found the right movies for it yet, but we could probably work something out where I want to have you come on to do a movie about or a couple of movies with with, uh, examples of bad police behavior. <laughs> because I think we share a common hatred of the law of enforcement as well. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it'll just be you and I ranting about how police are assholes, and Marco being like, "Yeah, the, I I got in trouble one time. <laughs> I was not polite to a police officer, and he looked at me kind of right. cross." <laughs> Marco is such a sweet-sounding dude. He just seems way too polite. I had the long, hardest time believing he was actually American. When we yeah, first started Canadian, talking, yes, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I remember saying that to you. I'm like, Marco's Canadian, right? You're like, no, he lives in California, dude, like in the desert. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> well, it's, it's a, it starts with a C and an A. <laughs> they have nice weather there, so they kind of grow a little bit nicer. <laughs> He's not like in in the thick of things where it's. Uh, it's like chaos and a rat race and stuff, so he's a little more chill. <laughs> yeah, he's a genuinely cool-sounding dude, so I look forward to recording with you guys. Nice. Uh, but until then, uh, why don't you just let everyone know where to keep up with your show and find you and all that stuff. Yeah, the easiest way to find us is the Legion Podcast launch slash landing page for us, legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. We have a Facebook group, Cinema PsyOps, where we post memes, alternative photography, where people mess with actual photos to either put myself or Matt into the photo to go along with something we talked about on the show, or just kind of change things around to make people look like general jackasses just to make everyone in the group <laughs> laugh. Uh, yes. Lot articles for our PsyOp news stuff that we cover, everything there on the Cinema PsyOps Facebook group. If you just search under the groups for Cinema PsyOps, you have to answer some questions for me to let you in because we've been getting a lot of spam people that uh, that want to post their illegal links to movie downloads from India. Oh, <laughs> been getting a, been getting a lot of those, and I'm not letting any of those folks in because I know who you are and I know what you're trying to do, and that's not going to work. Uh, right. I'm on Facebook as Court PsyOps. You can find me on Twitter at Court underscore PsyOp. Cinema PsyOps is on Instagram as well, which I'm really just kind of posting some pictures here and there of just different stuff. I really haven't found my niche on what to do with Instagram, but I'll figure something right. out. I'm a knife fanatic, so maybe I'll just start posting photos of my knives. Oh, there you go. 
good. People love weird shit like that on Instagram. So yeah. that was kind of my my first social media was I started an Instagram and worked my way backwards. So <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah, with your uh, action figure photography, I can definitely see where Instagram would be the place for you because some really cool stuff that you do. I don't think you talk about that enough on your show. Actually, I have a print. Yeah. Of, I have a print of yours hanging up in my studio. Actually, that you gave me. So thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. I uh, you know the, I I just don't talk about it as much when I'm not doing it as actively. So I've been on sort of a not not fully intentional hiatus, but it's more just like the weather here kind of sucks and I'm super busy. So I don't carve out the time to go seek out photography locations and stuff because I have to make time for it. And then it's just unpleasant to be in the sun. It's super humid and hot. And so I like to do it more in the fall and the spring and stuff. And it's kind of become more of a seasonal hobby for me. So Hopefully that will be picking up again soon. Yeah, I can see with your pension for doing a lot of stuff outdoors. Uh, if you had like a little studio space where you like have like, you know, you can kind of create fake walls and things like that that you can post yeah, the figures I'm, in. I think that would probably benefit you in the winter time. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on on picking up something too, actually. So I might be doing something like that in the future. So we'll see. Oh, neat. I look forward to it because I always uh, I was like seeing how you actually make the toys look like they're in some kind of actual film frame i you really got a good eye for photography man oh thank you i appreciate it i uh I, you know i love doing it it's just now i have so many fucking things going on that it's hard to make time for everything especially with so. podcasting it takes up all your free time all the time yeah and fucking kids <laughs> it's like if i could just drop one of those two things <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> judging from what you've said earlier i think i know which one you'd like to drop <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm, I, I like to say I'm in the back nine of parenting with my kids being 11 and 16, so <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm more than halfway done. Time for the vasectomy if you haven't gotten one, just to make sure. Yeah, I actually got that when my son was like one year old. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I was like done and done. <laughs> so uh, that was a long time ago. But yeah, no, this has been great. I know you and I have been chatting on the side off and on, and we talked about doing this and some other stuff. I was on your show once, and so, uh, you know, anytime that we can get together in this type of format and just talk more openly is always fun. So there's a good chunk of this that wasn't even a part of the show that you and I just catching up and bullshitting and whatever, which is always fun for me. So, Well, I have it captured on my side, so you can use it if you want. <laughs> right. <laughs> Make it the, the bonus extra long episode of Friends Till the End. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, thank you very much for your time, and I will plug all of my stuff in the intro. So I will say thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. So we took the goddamn thing
Oh, oh, I love her so 